0: What the fuck is up, world? For reals, though. It's been almost a month now since my last podcast. And as much as I would love to fucking apologize for the long delay, I'm simply going to say straight up, yo, the break honestly was much appreciated on your boy's behalf. For those of you who've been wait patiently waiting in anticipation, yo, I appreciate that shit, man. But for real, I'm just happy to have been able to Take a break from not just the podcast game, but from work and from school. I'm back at work now, right? But definitely from school as well. And just take a chance to chill, bro. As much as I love this podcast shit so far, I'm, I would be remiss if I didn't admit that it's become something of a responsibility on your on your boy's behalf. And by the way, I don't mean a responsibility in a bad way. It's actually a fucking great responsibility. It's actually not even that difficult. It's not like it's asking so much of me. But the responsibility is not so much of the work necessary, quote unquote, to make the podcast happen, but real shit, the responsibility that I feel to you as the listener that I hold, right? And the responsibility is that of a philosophy professor who is required to provide with you all the most real fucking shit f- possible in terms of philosophy, right? What I mean by that more specifically is I understand quite well the position, the very pr- privileged position that I occupy as a, as a philosophy professor and thus the ensuing need to ensure that what I'm fucking actually dropping on this podcast game is shit of actual merit. I don't need to be legitimized by any sort of institution to say that what I'm fucking telling you is of any merit, but what I do need to do is stay right right here to me personally, because, you know, I know when the fuck I personally am dropping philosophy that is actual, you know, hood shit, and when I am slipping into a little bit of my own personal beliefs, right? I've had an entire podcast, in fact, dedicated specifically to the philosophy behind many of my personal beliefs. But ultimately, my intention is to try to stay away from you know slipping into this fucking boring blase, basic fucking shit, polemic attacks that we see already. There, are, there's so many of these people on the internet, right? What I mean by these kind of people are the ones who simply get on a microphone and on a camera and start spitting their ill-informed fucking opinions on shit that they don't even you know, have any sort of justification for as to why they're talking about it. And the worst part is they get surrounded by all these people within this fucking little echo chamber that has them rallying around thinking that what they have to say. Stefan Molyneux, fuck you, right? You're a perfect example of this. But all they're really doing is they're existing within this echo chamber where they're fucking just reverberating this confirmation bias off one another where somebody who you know felt strongly enough to get on the microphone or on a camera to spout their beliefs is simply you know surrounding themselves with people who share their beliefs and that because of this they fucking feel as though whatever they're having to say is that quote-unquote truth because if it wasn't then why the fuck would so many people agree with them right fuck no dog that's not my shit that's not what I want to do and thus, the ensuing responsibility that came, and, and moreover, by proxy, the little bit of uh, reprieve that I took from not having done a podcast in almost a month is the realization that, yo, as much as I would love to come up here and fucking spit my own personal beliefs, the reality is that as a philosopher, Atlamatini more specifically, but we'll talk about that later when we we'll start getting into the Nahuatl tradition of philosophy deeper, right? I have a responsibility, man. And that responsibility is one that I try to teach all my students, right? It's actually three of them. There are three major responsibilities that I have as a philosopher. The first of which being my commitment to fucking skepticism. This skepticism is, just, I'm not, I'm not going to get too deep into it because I'm actually working on some shit right now that will deeply elaborate it. But for the purposes of this podcast, it's simply, this, 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 it's, a, it's a refusal to accept as fact or true any assumption until given until I acro- acquire you know better reasoning as to why the assumption that I've been presented with should in fact be true, right? So the best way that I can apply this to not just my life but you know your life as well is when it comes to something as controversial, for instance, as the existence of God. Uh, I neither, you know, would ever say that I believe or don't believe in God's existence, because to do so would be to betray this fundamental commitment that I have as a philosopher, namely to remain skeptical. The truth is, fucking no one knows, bro. Right? And I am not going to commit myself one way or another, because doing so, I risk because I-, I risk losing my status as a philosopher, and I risk even more importantly slipping. Into this dogmatism, the likes of which I just expressed earlier by these people who, again, they get on the microphone on the camera and they start spitting their own shit, right? The next commitment I have as a philosopher is one of rationality, man. Like, I got to think, you know, rationality is a very complicated issue. It's one that I'm looking forward to discussing at further length throughout this podcast as it continues. But for right now, the simple gist of it is going to be this. I have to be able to willingly examine issues from a non-emotional perspective. Now, this idea of non-emotional is itself pretty problematic, if you will, because it implies that emotions themselves are a bad thing. And I'm not going to say that they're not, but I'm definitely not going to say that they are as well, right? That's the whole skepticism kicking in right there. But what I will say is that, yeah, yo, like naturally as a human being, my initial reaction to much of, you know, what I'm confronted with in life is gonna be influenced, it's gonna be emotionally charged, especially shit that I care about, right? And the last thing I wanna do is jump on the fucking mic or on the camera and start spitting the first shit that comes to mind because chances are it's going to be deeply informed by my own emotional reaction to whatever the given circumstances, right? And in order to avoid doing that, because doing so would again, you know, risk jeopardizing what I hold as a status of a philosopher and slipping into this dogmatism is you know that that would not separate me from all these fucking fake woke academics for sure but the people specifically that i was speaking about earlier who just hop on the microphone i'm gonna keep repeating it as part of the indigenous storytelling tradition right uh they hop on the microphone or on the camera and just start spotting the first shit that comes to mind so nah the second reason why i've been looking you know enjoying this break as a uh this, this last month or so but it's also the second responsibility of a philosopher and the third one and perhaps most importantly for me is fallibility now fallibility is just a fancy philosophical way of saying conveying more importantly the idea that we as human beings obviously we're not fucking perfect man no human being on this planet is perfect everybody is fucked up in our own unique ways, right and many of us are fucked up specifically when it comes to the ideas that we have. Many of the ideas that we have, many of the ideas that we hold are fucking ill-informed. If we're going to be even more real, they're fucking nothing more than the process of brainwashing that we've all undertaken through these state-sanctioned educational learning facilities or shit that we fucking picked up on Fox News or MSNBC and we just fucking rock with these prepackaged ideas because doing so, uh, it helps keep us from having to do any of the emotional or rather intellectual work necessary to think shit through on our own, right? And more importantly. We are unwilling to acknowledge this fact in many instances, hence where the fallibility comes into play. The responsibility of a philosopher dictates that any true philosopher worth this fucking weight in gold or her weight in gold, their weight in gold to be as gender inclusive as possible, is going to be able to admit to themselves, yo, you know what? I used to have a bad idea. I used to be fucking wrong about this idea. And as firmly as I held this idea and as deeply uh, committed to this idea as I was, that shit was fucking wrong. And as a philosopher, now I have one of two options in regards to this idea. I can either fucking maintain truth or I can maintain my commitment as a philosopher and discard myself, divest myself of this idea, so that doing so will enable me to be able to look further uh, into the possibility of what the absolute truth, assuming that it even exists to begin with, is. Or I can fucking remain married to this belief, as terribly wrong as it may be, and risk slipping into this dogmatist, the likes of which I referred to earlier. Multiple times that have no problem jumping on the microphone or on the camera and spouting the first shit that comes to mind, right? And again, part of the responsibility that I feel then is to avoid doing that, right? Like, obviously, given the fact that it's my podcast, a lot of it's going to be influenced by the shit that I find interesting, right? There's no way around this. But even in the shit that I find interesting, even in the shit that I'm fucking personally feel one type of way about it or another, I can still apply these principles and ask myself, yo, real shit. Is this actually the fucking truth or is it something that you just feel, you know, personally, you know, uh, some type of way about? And because of that, you're just going to get on the microphone or the camera and start spitting the first shit that comes to mind. Because if it is, then again, there's realistically nothing different from me and all these fuckhead Stefan Molyneux type characters out there. And I don't want to be that person, right? Anyways. All of that is just a very, very fucking long winded, almost 10 minute introductory way of saying what the fuck is good, yo, for real. As much as I was enjoying my little break from this podcast game, I would be remiss to say that I didn't fucking miss y'all motherfuckers. I didn't miss this shit right here, right? Because I did. I fucking love this shit. I'm fucking thankful to be able to have the opportunity to do this shit. And just to be back today, honestly, I wasn't even planning on doing it. Uh, I'm actually in the process right now of working, of applying everything that I just told you all I'm trying to do, right? And creating even more detailed, nuanced podcasts for you moving forward, right? But I did also feel a sort of responsibility to get back on the microphone and on the camera and drop at least a quick little podcast just to let y'all motherfuckers know I ain't dead yet, right? Uh, Specifically (laughs) because of the content of our last podcast, my last podcast describing the sad boy life. Some of y'all motherfuckers who don't know me in personal life be like, yo, I've been waiting for a new El Grito podcast It usually drops every 10 days or so. And it's been almost three weeks and it fucking hasn't dropped one uh, in a while. I hope this motherfucker didn't, get the, didn't let the sad boy life get the best of him, and fucking went off and blew his brains out. Nah, bro. That's not what happened. It actually makes me laugh because uh, <laughs> one of my students recently in this new summer semester, if you're listening to this, what's up, right? Uh, what's up in a good way, as I say, very confrontationally, but I mean it in a good way. She uh they made a comment recently that the first day of class tripped them out because they thought I was depressed because of all the shit that I was talking about and the way that I was delivering it. And god damn it, if that comment did not fucking make me laugh out loud, right? Literally, internally laughing out loud. Uh I try to play it cool in the classroom, as cool as could possibly be. But the reality is, I'm not depressed, right? I mean, I think we can all say that we go through our shit in life, and this is not one of those, you know, one of those I I promise you I'm not this, but deep down inside I really am. Not like real shit. What I'm trying to say is, uh, it might seem that way. I can understand how, but this whole idea of depression itself, you know, we would be remiss to say that it's not something, uh, 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 an experience that we all, uh, uh, a feeling that we all experience at one point or our life, another. And just because we talk about it, just cause I talk about it, especially so openly, right? It's not to say that because that I'm like fucking teetering on the edge. Right. Um, in fact, I think it, uh, for me personally, I find it to be very important that people like myself—not just not to self-aggrandize, but men in general, right? Those of us who identify as men proudly can talk about this kind of shit because of the the, the stigma associated with mental health, right? It's seen as un unbecoming, if you will, in the colonial tradition of epistemology of a man. Where it's not it's not very manly, if you will to uh to talk about our emotions to talk about our mental health and all that kind of shit and because of that you have these motherfuckers dying at 40 from fucking putting a bullet in their head because of how sad they are from years of pent-up emotional frustration or fucking dying at a heart attack at 50 from you know years of trying to repress all those natural feelings of being a human being and me personally i ain't trying to go out like that right so yeah, I talk about it quite fucking openly and it might sound across as though it's fucking from someone depressed, but the reality is it's not, it's fucking from someone who understands like probably you do the reality of the human condition in which we find ourselves in. And that is one where people think about shit, get sad about shit all the fucking time. Right? So how do we get to this topic? It well, was simple. I left y'all motherfuckers hanging and given the content of my last podcast, I didn't want you to think like, oh shit, this little sad boy fucking off himself. No, nah, man. I'm alive and well. I'm fucking chilling, bro. Like I said, enjoying myself, enjoying the 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 brief uh, reprieve that I have from the doctoral program. I just finished my uh, coursework in a dissertation program. I'm so excited about that. Looking forward to moving on into the dissertation phase now, right? Um. Started a new semester, uh, summer semester. Some fucking dope students so far. I haven't been enjoying that. But more importantly, you know, I've been enjoying just the time to breathe, the time to relax, the time to enjoy all of the beauties that have been provided to me just by virtue of the luck that I have to be an American citizen, right? Um, All of this, by the way, has everything to do with today's podcast. And before I get into the actual podcast to itself, 13 minutes in, but I should fucking mention it again. If you ain't following your boy on the social media, Instagram, and I've also started using the Twitter just a little bit, the Twitter, no, the Twitter, just a little bit, right? og underscore ice nice 13 follow my shit let's be friends let's be social let's continue this fucking philosophical journey together so that we all may collectively learn from one another more of life than you know previously we had the knowledge of or whatever the shit might be right now the podcast for today it's meant to be a quick podcast and it's actually a reflection on the last game of thrones episode another thrones cast look at that right uh but like the previous thrones cast this is going to be one that is deeply informed by a philosophy that i find is permeated all through not just american culture and society but absolutely through western culture and society as well in fact even beyond western culture and society basically any culture and society that has freed itself from monarchies, right uh this, I, this, this idea that we're going to discuss today is actually going to lay the foundation for a lot of the work that I've been doing on for this podcast that I've been telling you about, right? So I told you about just recently, but it's going to be the, the divide between modernism and postmodernism, seeing as to how fucking it's such a hot topic nowadays, postmodernism, right? And at least in the Western tradition, historically speaking, I believe it's fair to say that we can trace the genealogy of both modernism and postmodernism. To the philosophy that followed during the Enlightenment era of the Western tradition of the world, okay? And more specifically, through this absolute Germanic idealism, because this, you know, Germanic idealism is is absolute Germanic idealism. It serves as the impetus, it serves as the foundation for much of the founding, you know, documents of this particular country, the United States of America. Other countries, I'm sure, as well, right? But since I'm an American, definitely this one. And because of that, I find that it is one that is deeply permeated through all of our lives in one respect or another. So much so that when we talk about this, it's almost not not even like I'm philosophizing specifically in class, right? But through his podcast, maybe you'll find that as well. So much as I am helping reveal to you shit that you've already fucking, you're deeply intimately familiar with, okay? And how it all relates to the Game of Thrones episode is simple. Before I even continue with that, I'm just going to qualify now. Fucking spoiler alert, okay? If you have not seen Game of Thrones, if you have not seen the last season of Game of Thrones, especially if you have not seen the last episode of Game of Thrones, turn this shit off now. Don't fucking listen any further, right? Because I'm about to spoil the fuck out of the whole series. More than I already did probably in the previous episode because my previous Thrones cast came before the last episode, right? So consider this your fair warning, right? coffee break I was not a fan initially of how the fir- the, the the last ep- the the series finale of Game of Thrones ended I like many people was extremely underwhelmed by the final episode right uh in fact I was not a fan of how they did my girl Daenerys Stormborn so dirty I just I was not a fan I just still to this day I'm not really that much of a fan especially of the way they treated my girl Daenerys they should have spent, I don't mind that she took a heel turn. I don't mind that she became a bad person. I fucking loved her for that reason the whole time, as we talked about in the previous Thrones cast. But I would have enjoyed a little bit more of a character development to show her relationship with Jon Snow. I would have enjoyed more character development showing her descent into madness and all that kind of shit, right? But that's not the point of today's podcast. The point of today's podcast is to explain how ultimately, ultimately, even though her death may have been pretty premature, and that the story arc may not have been properly developed, it's almost a redemption. It's a redemption episode for my girl Daenerys. And the reason why is because for the previous seven seasons of Game of Thrones, even up to that last episode, all she ever spoke about was the importance of breaking the wheel. What is the wheel? It's simple, man. The slavery, the unjust treatment of the poor, all that kind of shit, right? And despite the desire of the showrunners to try to turn her to try to make her appear to be this evil character ultimately i believe she succeeded in breaking the wheel it's unfortunate that she had to die to do so right but in her desire to seek to change the world from this one where it was ruled by these brutal fucking monarchies that completely devalued the lives of, quote unquote, ordinary, average, everyday citizens, she fucking took that and she made it into a world free of slavery, for instance, a world where women and children were treated with, you know, equally, if you as equal as could possibly be for a time back then, right? It laid the foundation ultimately for what would hopefully inevitably become democracy, if you will, in Westeros. I say democracy, uh, obviously, for those of you who are hip with Game of Thrones, you know full well that there was a whole fucking joke at the expense of Samuel Tarly about the idea of giving the vote to every single person in Westeros in order to decide who would be their next ruler, right? And then all the noble families looked around at each other and were like, oh, who am I going to give a vote to next? My horse? The idea here being that hum- the average everyday people are less qualified to rule or uh, to determine who's going to rule them than a fucking horse of a noble person, Right. And although her death didn't lead to the immediate creation of Westeros, it did serve in such a way that helped. It helped pave the way for inevitable democracy in Westeros. I'm assuming if we if it continued its historical trajectory, and that's because now now the rulers were no longer determined strictly by you know divine command by the by divine divine decree basically by might, right? It's not just because I have a fucking dragon and you don't, that now I'm going to be the ruler and anyone who's descended from me is going to be your ruler in the future for no other reason than they are descended from me, right? And as unfortunate as it was that she had to die in order for this to inevitably happen, what this is, and now all the noble families get to choose a noble person from among their noble, quote unquote, and we'll talk about why later when we start getting into language and genealogy of morality through Nietzsche, right? Uh, they get to decide who the future ruler is going to be. So in that respect, yeah, she kind of broke the wheel because now it's no longer beholden upon the monarchy to decide rather, or a might to decide who's going to be the sovereign, but it'll be, you know, it's more meritocracy this way and ultimately, ideally more free. Now, the reason I keep using these words free is because this is, again, this Germanic idealism that I, that, I meant, that I alluded to earlier. This absolute idealism, if it's to be believed, the central idea. And again, I'm just going to blow right through this because I, I am, for one, let me qualify it, just in case you're like, what the fuck qualifications does this dickhead have to be talking about this? I wrote my entire master's dissertation, not in favor of this absolute idealism, but in rejection of it in a way. But the only way you can, you know, the whole steel man argument, the whole steel man that I told you about in the, in the very uh, first couple episodes. In order to properly debunk an argument, you have to first intimately familiarize yourself with it, right? And that's exactly what I did. And my camp came from saying that, yo, these absolute idealists, modernists, which is where the roots of modernism will inevitably come from, they want to tell us that everything is all good because history, if you will, has come to an end and the conditions have been satisfied where each and every single person through democracy now has the ability to attain their you know, freedom in its most perfect absolute sense of the form. And that because of that, There is no longer any issues that need to be reconciled, so much so as the uh, aside from the personal ones that are keeping individual people from succeeding to the utmost of their capability. It's a very powerful argument. Uh, It's a convenient argument if you're a Christian because it's founded on Christian theology that simply states that the reason we are here today and that the reason everything is so uh, allegedly fucking peachy keen is because Jesus and God and all that kind of shit through Christianity uh, wanted it to be this way right? What they conveniently fucking neglect is that the only way that we got here is through shit like fucking slavery of the West African individuals and indigenous Holocaust here on Turtle Island, right? According to these absolute idealists, however, this was all fucking necessary in order for us to live in the country that we do now here in the United States of America 2019. It's a very powerful argument. It's a fucking, this is a teleological argument. Again, uh, teleology is just a fancy philosophical way of saying there's an end goal, right? This teleological argument argues that the end, the starting goal too, I guess, in that respect, would be Christianity for them, the you know, the the origination of consciousness through spirit, right? Is it it's unfolding through his zeitgeist, this 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 push of history, right? And it undertakes this slaughter bench of history, is what they're gonna refer to again as this unfortunate fucking historical precedent that's been set that you know lays the foundation for us to be here today, but ultimately necessary, right? And that it's all being pushed by this, you know, this Christian narrative that says that we will be ultimately redeemed here on earth through heaven, whatever the case might be, however you choose to apply it, right? So I guess in that respect, it's further, further justification for Daenerys Stormborn. As you know, she mentioned it herself, like, yeah, you know what, man, a lot of fucking people are going to die. I'm going to ride through fucking Westeros. I'm going to burn that bitch down. And in doing so, a lot of fucking people are going to die. But also in doing so, I am going to lay the foundation for a future fucking paradise in which their descendants will benefit from my reign and my rule, this is this is a, a deeply teleological argument. It's simply saying that she fathomed herself to be a, some sort of fucking savior, and that in order for this savior, the this salvation, rather, to take place, she first had to fucking lay destruction to the old world. And that's basically kind of along the lines of what this you know uh, absolute Germanic idealism are talking about. They're gonna say like, yeah, you know what, shits, it was fucked up. You know, we enslaved some folks. We committed genocide on some folks, but without any of that kind of shit, you would not have the United States of America in 2019. And because of that, it's unfortunate, it's unfortunate that all that kind of shit happened. But for one, those people, that was their purpose in life. Their purpose in life was to die in order for this greater good that is now the 2019 America, you know, manifest itself. But more importantly, through their death and through their dying, the conditions were made uh, available in which now people like you and I, those who are historically not represented through the monarchy, through the crown, and all that kind of shit, have the ability to attain the same level of freedom, the same level of democracy, the same level of self-actualization. Even if I may be so idealistic, that you know previously was only reserved for people of of the aristocracy, right? And this is again, this is a, this is a very powerful argument because. It's, it's it's difficult to argue against in the sense that we only have this one fucking present right now to base off to base our um argumentation off, right? So what I mean by that is like unfortunately we don't live in a world where cur- let's assume that alternate you know universes exist, and within these alternate universes there are alternate unfoldings of reality even if they do exist, we don't fucking have access to them, right? Maybe the government does somewhere in like some fucking bunker deep under underground somewhere, right? But we average everyday people, we don't have access to this kind of technology that would allow us to be able to fucking, you know, hop in between different alternate realities to see if this in fact is the best possible world out of all of them, right? And because of that, we only have this to measure it again. So my favorite example, for instance, is when people listen, man, I like El Paso. I think El Paso's cool. I'm thankful for what El Paso has given me and continues to give me still here to this day. But I'm fucking looking forward to leaving El Paso one of these days, right? And fucking never coming back, maybe even. And the reason is because as awesome as I say it because people from El Paso, y'all motherfuckers, we, why y'all get mad when people say this, like yo, El Paso sucks. It's not, it's not a terrible city, right? But it's not fucking San Francisco. It's not Los Angeles. It's not any other of these fucking major cities, right? It's not that it can't be that city, but it's not. And what makes me laugh is when people who have never left El Paso get upset about it. When you say like, yeah, El Paso's not that cool. Like there's other, be- there's other good cities out there. And they turn around and be like, oh, what are you talking about? El Paso's awesome. Look at, uh, we have Beto O'Rourke. We have fucking uh, Sun City Music Festival. We have the Neon Desert. We have beautiful women. We have beautiful men. And you're just like, okay. I, all of that is true, I guess. But what are you comparing this to? Like, what are you, if you've never left El Paso, what are you comparing your idea that El Paso is the dopest city of all time to? Nothing. At best, stories or pictures that you've seen of other people who have left El Paso. But if you yourself have no personal, you know, measurement by which to judge it by, your fucking opinion, your opinions irrelevant, man. Right. And it's the same with this idea of history, the fucking these modernists, these people who get their roots in this fucking, you know, Enlightenment era thinking. It's a very fucking powerful argument because those of us who don't agree with it, we're like, no, nah, fuck that. The world can be better. And it would only be that way if we could just undo all the shit that is keeping us from being able to do so. To which these modernists are simply going to turn around and say, oh yeah, if the world could be better, well then why isn't it? And if this wasn't the best of all possible worlds, why did it get decided? If I wasn't meant to be the king and you weren't meant to be the fucking soldier that dies on the battlefield for in order for me to become the king, then why was I born the king and why were you born the soldier on the fucking battlefield? Why are we living in this reality and not in the one that you say is the most fucking, uh, is the more ideal one? It's, it's fucking very hard to argue against it because again, like the people who from El Paso who've never left, we fucking have nothing to measure it against. You're like, fuck, you're right. I have nothing to measure it against. And because of that, it's, again, this very powerful argument that almost pigeonholes us into this, uh, this corner where we're left to say, well, shit, I guess capitalism, it really is the best economic system. And shit, I guess it's unfortunate that, you know, there's children in the Congo right now who are mining the conflict minerals in order to bring me my iPhone. But if, you know if if they were born in the Congo, what can I possibly do to change that fact? And it's unfortunate that there's the, the people in China who are, you know, putting, piecing together these iPhones in, in these, in these factories, in these factories, you know, where they have to fucking put suicide nets up. But if they're there and I'm here, it must be because I was chosen to be here, right? And they were chosen to be there. And this is the best of all possible worlds because I don't want to pay two thousand dollars for a fucking brand new iphone so if it means that i have to get my fucking iphone from somebody who's basically been reduced to slavery and a child in africa who's got a fucking gun to their head in order to pull out more of these minerals necessary to make this phone then i guess this is just this is just the nature of reality and i should settle for it right maybe if we follow this fucking trajectory of the you know the 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 modernist thinking that arose in, 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 in light of this Enlightenment era philosophy that came to a hold, right? And specifically that of the Germanic uh, absolute idealism. Why specifically them? Because these people, uh, they're philosophizing, man, during this period of high, allegedly, allegedly high culture and undoubted conservatism, right? And in their ability to philosophize, listen, man, if you control the knowledge, you control the information, you, if you, again, like I said before, if you teach people how to think, you could teach them how to see the whole fucking world, right? And these people who are obviously doing this philosophy, they're the ones who are the, they're the shakers and the movers of their culture of their times, right? They are the ones that help influence the politicians and everybody else who's making the laws that fucking put shit actions into, into motion, right? to be even more direct with the philosophy, they're going to say, yo, the ideas of our internal world, they shape and construct our external world. They influence the external world, right? And who more than philosophers helps to shape and construct ideas? And if you're philosophizing during a time of grand upheaval, like these fucking uh, Germanic absolute idealisms are, idealists rather, there's no question that you're going to influence the fucking culture, the zeitgeist, if you will. Uh, Specifically, the one, the culture they're influencing is... It's one that's marked during the French Revolution. Now, the French Revolution, I'm not a fucking, I'm not a, I'm not a history major, but I am something of a history dork, right? And it's one of my favorite fucking, it's one of my favorite events in all of the history that I've read thus far, right? I'm not a fan, necessarily. I'm not a, 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 Euro, a Euro, I'm not a Europhobe. There's no question about that. I don't hate people from Europe. I don't hate anything from Europe, but it's not, I really don't care about the history of Europe in general, right? I'm really more interested in the shit that's happening or has happened here on Turtle Island and a little bit of the effect that it suffered at the hands of, uh, you know, uh, of Europe. But for the most part, I like to read about the history that's occurred here, right? Um, But one of the events that really always sticks out to me is, in fact, the French Revolution, because it's through the French Revolution that these monarchies historically are first challenged, and in this particular case, at least initially, fucking overthrown, right? And that's when these philosophers are philosophizing through. They're philosophizing through the French Revolution, man. It's considered to be this watershed moment if you will in world history that directly influenced many of the ideas that are still present here to this day right the fucking this country everyone's like this this country itself man everyone seems to be so against fucking revolutionary thinking this fucking country was founded on revolution man and it was influenced by this fucking ideas that were uh, prevalent during the french revolution right it's an era that is marked again by fucking war it's marked by upheaval it's marked by fucking self-aggrandizement. This idea that we are the best, and because uh, if we weren't the best, we wouldn't be the ones that are fucking succeeding and the most kick-ass and all that kind of shit, right? It's this very exaggerated conception of history, if you will, that we start to really, really, really—I mean, it's always existed—but we really start to see, at least here in the quote-unquote modern world, the victors' narrative start to unfold. We start to valorize all these people who have done fucking—you know—great mili- military, quote-unquote, great military conquests and all that kind of shit, right? uh it's also marked by this fear of but surprisingly also a respect for the ideals of revolution man and you know almost contradictorily it's also marked by a passion for the status quo so on the one hand you have these people who are like yo revolution that shit's pretty dope but on the other hand they're like but life itself is also pretty dope right here like right now we have we have like this weird balance where shit's not good but it's also really good at the same time and this is where this philosophy, this Germanic absolute idealism is concerned. I keep prefacing it Germanic because absolute idealism is a universal human idea. and We're not going to let any one particular philosopher, fuck you Hegel and all your followers, uh, colonize it, right? Um, so the idea then is that despite how good shit was, there was no doubt that there was still a lot that needed to be progressed and overcome, right? And this is, again... The idea then is with this philosophy is you have this character right who represents at least in this germanic idealism in napoleon this figure this figurehead in 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 all of history who has been chosen if you will to help liberate all the people from the injustices that they've historically experienced through the through the crown and the biggest injustice that uh, injustice rather that the crown has always perpetuated is namely the limiting of people's freedom, because ideally in a monarchy, the only person who is really, really, truly, honestly free is the sovereign. The aristocrats themselves might be free to a certain extent, but it's no question that the sovereign is the absolute most free person in any monarchy, right? And that because of that, this form of governance was keeping all humans, but it was keeping them almost hostage from the freedom that we're capable of experiencing. And thus, in order to undo ourselves, divorce ourselves from this, we needed to first start this whole process, this movement that would seek to begin to overthrow the monarchies that were keeping us from being able to attain this freedom that we, that, that we desire. And thus, this is where this, this Hegelian, or rather, uh, this fucking Napoleonic figure comes into play in his alleged importance. Because it's this fucking, again, not the history buff, but definitely a history dork, this Napoleon character who comes along and says, fucking overthrow the monarchy and start to replace it with a more democratic form of governance. Which is all fucking fine and dandy until he fucking finally did succeed in overthrowing the monarchy. And then he was like, hey, you know what? I'm actually gonna be the king now because power is pretty awesome. And all that shit I said about the monarchy, don't listen to me because now I'm the fucking emperor and you gotta do exactly as I say. We're gonna talk all about that. That's what the shit that I'm actually, the real, real, real shit that I'm working on is the master slave dialect that emerges through all that. And the reason we'll ask ourselves is why couldn't we fucking overthrow the monarchy? Have we even thrown the monarchy? Or does the monarchy still exist? And more importantly, Why are so few people willing to do anything about it? The Master Slave dialect, some of my favorite shit, right? But before we get there, we first need to discuss, if you will, the, the thinking behind these ideas of freedom, right? And the reason here being is because, well, ideally, this is where the American influence starts to come into play. If we are free just by virtue of being human beings, that means ideally that all people are free, irrespective of whatever identity they might be. So, gay, straight, male, female, brown, white, black, all people ideally, ideally are free. Now I say ideally, obviously, because you don't need to be a history dork to know that the fucking history of the United States is replete with fucking people who have systematically, right, kept others from being free. However, there's also no question that in 2019, The people who are living here today, we people, especially those who have been, you know, descended from historically disenfranchised communities, we're fucking way more free than our ancestors were here in America. That's for absolute fucking sure, right? So the question then becomes, well, why, why are we so reticent, if you will, to acknowledge the freedom of other people? If ideally, not only are we living in a country that's, you know, predicates its entire existence on freedom, but more importantly, if we're all equal, especially like under the eyes of an absolute God, for instance, if we're all equal, then how can you possibly try to keep me from freedom? And the idea here through this, uh, you know, this Germanic absolute idealism is simple. It's kind of because we're alienated, right? They're going to have, they, 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 they're going to distinguish, if you will, between a universal mind, this like God consciousness kind of mind, and an, a mind with a capital M and an individual mind like you and I right and the basic idea here is the roots of alienation first appear with the development and the appearance if you will of individual minds like people like you and I right we kind of just came into consciousness at one point and we there was this break where rather than being part of an absolute whole our individual consciousness became a particular consciousness and in that break we stopped we failed we were unable to recognize and all the other individual uh, particular consciousness are shared collective, uh, you know, consciousness as a human being, right? These minds, we become conscious, but we're not self-conscious, let alone free, right? And it's from this point, we progress to the mind, this absolute mind, if you will, where we actualize as a free and fully self-conscious entity, this is the push of history, this is the zeitgeist, this is the whole roots of modernism through the Enlightenment era, and ideally they're going to want to argue, yeah, we have in fact manifested as the universal absolute mind, and now because of that, everyone is unique or uh, individually free at, at a grand scale, okay? According to these absolute idealists, this process is both historical and logical, meaning that, yeah, it's got its historical roots, but it was only, it was it was a natural procession, a natural progression, a logical progression in the, in the evolution of human development, the evolution of human history. It, would, it was only logical that we are going to arrive to this point here, you know, if we continue this, this dialectical process of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, okay? So, history, again, it, they're just simply saying it's progressing through this fucking logically necessary path. It has to go through this path, and it's this path which we must travel in order to reach our final teleological goal is what these uh, absolute idealists are going to want to argue. Okay. Now, essentially, it's just a really fancy way of saying that the mind is attempting to overcome all these contradictions and negations that prevent it from reaching and achieving its final absolute goal. And it's going to do this by living vicariously through our actions, if you will. It's controlling our actions. It's kind of manipulating us like puppets, if you will, in order to create the conditions necessary for the mind, the absolute mind itself, to manifest itself in its most perfect form, right? And it is manifested, unfortunately, through humans. And obviously, as I began this lecture, we're talking about we're limited, we're flawed, right? And... If for no other reason than because of our logical capabilities. And most importantly, from our blatant unawareness, almost it seems, of our universal nature. What do I mean by this blatant unawareness? It's either a blatant unawareness or a blatant disregard. And that universal nature is the fact that, yo, again, gay, straight, black, white, Indian, Pakistani, fucking uh, Jewish, Palestinian, Mexican, American, black, whatever. We're all ultimately people at the very end, right? And that all the other shit, it's just these fucking identities, these constructs that we've created to try to make sense of this fucking meaningless world that we've been thrown into. And that we're allowing these things to keep us from recognizing our shared human essence. And that because of that, it fucking becomes more complicated for this absolute mind to manifest itself in its most perfect form. Right? So, uh, because of this, the universal mind itself is, is, is alienated from itself right as we again the individual minds are alienated from all the other minds in this universe in this, in this world there's fucking eight billion of us man and not one person here on this planet has access to anybody else's consciousness from their own so just by this fundamental you know embodiment that we all experience we're inherently alienated from other people for as long as we're unable to truly truly fucking read their minds if you will or live through their through li- through live through their lived experience right so, in our inability to recognize again that we are all intimately connected through one universal collective consciousness, through his mind, his absolute mind, we we're we're hindering, if you will. I was going to say here specifically the people who are the manifestations of mind. We take other people who, again, are also manifestations of mind as something foreign. We take them as something hostile, as something external to ourselves, right? Uh, when in reality, we're all part of the same great whole, namely the mind. Right. So this again, this alienation—it's—it's it's, it's the fundamental negation of the absolute, one that perpetuates this constant state of struggle between two individuals. What do I mean by that? Is we're going to talk about more when we start discussing this master-slave dialect, specifically the kind of, uh, that that uh, that, uh, that stems from this absolute uh, idealism. It's the constant desire for recognition, the universal desire for recognition and uh, the battles that we find ourselves in with other people in this desire for recognition, right? And as long as we're alienated from one another, we're never going to be able to overcome this constant battle for recognition, which brings us back to the fucking series finale of Game of Thrones and how I personally am starting slowly, slowly to come back around to it. One of the things that I really, really hated the most was the fucking treatment of Egan Targaryen. I don't give a fuck what you want to call him. He's a Targaryen, goddammit. Fucking fire and blood, baby. What's up? Y'all motherfuckers can call him Jon Snow all you want. But if we're following the, the, this fucking this, this, uh, patrilineal, uh, uh, colonial fucking naming pattern, he's Egan Targaryen, Jon Snow, right? At first, it seemed fucking foolish. It seemed so foolish to me that he didn't take the throne. Like, well, what the fuck was the whole point of the series if not for either fucking fire or ice to ascend to the throne, right? And then I started thinking about it a little bit more. And specifically, I started thinking about it through the lens of a little hip-hop pedagogy. Even more specifically, I started thinking about it through a lens of my boy Jake Cole. Whose song I sing until from this day until my last baby, a fucking J. Cole ride or die to the very fucking end, right? And the song that I'm speaking about here in particularly is Fire Squad. And even more specifically, I'm speaking of not just the breakdown before the final verse of J. Cole on Fire Squad, but the absolute end. We're all kings, truth, right? Kings of ourselves, first and foremost. Right? The basic idea here being is throughout the whole fucking last part of the song, this J. Cole character saying, Yo, what the fuck is with the desire for everyone? Everyone is obsessed with fucking becoming the king. Peasants, fucking uh, aristocracy, everyone in between. Everyone wants to be the king. And look at all the shit that they are fucking willing to do, all the shit they're willing to compromise, all the shit they're willing to jeopardize just to ascend to the fucking throne. Why? What is so fucking powerful about being the person in power, right? And this is where the whole roots of the master-slave dialect are going to come into place because the ideal response would be like, well shit, it's better to be a master than a slave until you realize that the master itself is beholden to the fucking slaves. The, slave, the master doesn't control the slaves. The slaves are the only people who can give the master any sort of fucking credibility. So as dependent as the slaves are on the master, the master is just as fucking dependent on the slaves. And more importantly, what is the desire to become the king of some fucking external force and some external entity when the entire time you on the inside are a slave, for instance, to all sorts of shortcomings, your fucking self, are all of our self-defeating patterns of behavior, for instance, our addictions, our fucking own personal demons. If we're not masters of ourselves, we're not fucking masters of anything, right? So the goal then not just through this fucking Game of Thrones show, was to break the crown, but through his little hip-hop pedagogy, the Game of Thrones is, I'm gonna snatch the crown from whoever y'all think has it, I'm, I'm not gonna put it on my fucking head, right, as soon as I grab it, I'm gonna poof, boom, pow, disappear it like magic, right, it's that J. Cole song, baby, what the fuck, I don't give a fuck about this crown, this crown doesn't mean shit to me, and that's exactly what the fuck Egan Targaryen was saying the whole time, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't fucking want to be the king, I want to live my life in peace as a master of myself fucking as far away from the throne as humanly possible because ultimately, ultimately, what do I get from being the king? When do I get to escape this constant state of turmoil and conflict with the external world that I've been engaging in fucking from the very first episode, this this teleological push that has, you know, that has driven me towards this position where ultimately I'm supposed to become the king. When I become the king, this shit's not going to go away. Those same struggles, those same conflicts are going to remain in place. Other people are going to be vying for the crown. More people are going to be dying. I'm going to have to engage in more actions, and more importantly, in doing all of that. At what point do I actually get to live my own fucking life? Never. You're going to be a puppet. You're going to be a slave to the system, these structures that have been put into place that you know dictate that certain actions must be taken by a king in order to ensure his kingdom, in order to protect his kingdom. In order to continue living out their kingdom, etc., right? And nah, I don't fucking want it. I don't want it. Right? So that's kind of the idea of where I started to come around a little bit more on this fucking Game of Thrones episode. I was like, yo, you know what? They talk a lot about subverting fans' expectations and real shit. There was probably no better way to subvert the fan expectations than by saying, Yeah, this fucking Fire and Ice, guess what? Not one of them are gonna be the fucking king or the queen. We're gonna fucking break the wheel. We're gonna help set the foundations for ultimately, if you will. The future democracies in Westeros. We're gonna fucking set the precedent. Not the precedent. The precedent was set by his fucking grandpa, uh, the Targaryen up north of the Wall, right? But we're gonna set the precedent of people saying, "Look, man, you you know, power is you know controlling other people, but absolute power is control over yourself." And this is what I want the most. I want absolute power, absolute control over myself. And the precedent has been set, so you can either fucking rock with it or you can continue to be a slave to all these fucking earthly things that keep people beholden right so through all all of this this is all this absolute idealism that we're talking about right going back to this this mind and its absolute form it's not going to be able to manifest itself ultimately through these structures why because people are always going to be vying for the crown and they're never ideally going to be able to pause to consider yo the crown that i've been looking for has been right here inside the whole fucking time i'm the king of my own shit right you could enslave me You can fucking, why you wanna live a life of slavery, we'll talk about that in the next podcast, right? But you can imprison me, you can do whatever the fuck you want, but as long as you don't take away my fucking, my agency, my desire to be my fucking own king, you'll never fucking own me, you'll never possess me, right? And ideally, this is where the true, true, true freedom would come into play. So, in order to get there, ideally, we'd have to first overcome the barriers that keep us from doing so. Again, Indian, Pakistani, Muslim, Jewish, Israeli, Palestinian, black, white, gay, straight, all these fucking binaries, man, to do ultimately nothing more than limit us from realizing and recognizing the fucking fellow human being, different color skin, different set of eyes, but only one God, right? That's the J. Cole lyrics right there. Whether you believe in God or not, fucking irrelevant. The point remains the same. Even if you don't believe in God, there's still just one fundamental essence, and that is a human essence, okay? And that these barriers that we've constructed are simply nothing more than the result of this absolute mind, if you will, not recognizing itself for what it is. And because of that, the process of history is merely this process of this mind that is trying to reconcile these differences that serve to limit its infinite powers, okay? So, ideally, according to this, this is like this is like a fucking crash course in absolute Germanic idealism, I'm going to talk about it more in further detail as these podcasts progress because it's it's too much. People spend entire academic careers discussing this. I'm on fucking 50 minutes and I'm already like, yo, I'm barely scratching the surface. You know what I'm saying? But the idea here is simply to try to set up, again, a little Thrones cast, if you will, but also this where our current 2019, the where we stand in philosophy here today, right? And it, it's, a lot of it's got its roots, again, in the Enlightenment era thinking, which are obviously most heavily influenced by this fucking absolute idealism. I said I was going to talk about how it affects and permeates our everyday life, and I haven't really done as incisive of a job as I hope to do for this particular podcast. But again, like I said, entire fucking academic careers. I'm trying to wind this bitch down because I got less than fucking 10 minutes to go before I hit the hour. So I will qualify by saying like I do all the time. I'm going to talk about it more in further detail in the future. But for now, the basic, basic, basic understanding is that this universal mind can only actualize with The mind's participation, okay, as this is what gives it credence. What do I mean by that? Me and you, baby. The individual minds that serve to collectively make up the whole of of the universal mind, right? The moment we collectively are able to recognize all of these fucking obstacles and all of these barriers as exactly that, as these things that limit us from seeing each other as this shared collective essence, right? Until we're able to unify and do that, there is no fucking breaking the wheel. The wheel will always exist, and that ultimately is where we fucking find ourselves here today, man. Just another fucking shooting of a young uh, of a young black kid fucking in Memphis, right? Handcuffed, twenty fucking times they put bullets in his body. And ideally, if we were all free and liberated in the modernist sense of the word, this would not be a fucking issue. On what side of the camp you're on doesn't fucking matter to me. Ultimately, what does is that there are. What I mean by that is, like, if you're fucking pro Black Lives Matter, if you're anti Black Lives Matter, I don't fucking care. What I care about is the fact that there's institutions that have been put in place to protect our rights and freedoms, for instance, right? The institution of habeas corpus, for example, no extrajudicial murders and the like. And whenever those shits are jeopardized, we're jeopardizing the freedoms that ideally we're capable of fucking achieving. So ultimately, it's clear that we still have much room to expand upon and ideally we can't fucking do that until we begin to recognize each other for what we truly are namely the shared collective essence okay so in culminating specifically through the fucking game of thrones shit even though i was initially unsatisfied with the way that it ended i could see how daenerys stormborn's death would ultimately inevitably lead to the breaking of the wheel that would allow for the freedom of all the people that she so hoped so eagerly hoped her first six seven seasons of the show to liberate right and more importantly the fucking the Jon Snow influence the Egan Targaryen influence where even in the face of the power necessary to be able to do so to turn that power down to not be the fucking Napoleonic figure who turns around and fucking seizes the same control that they had prior to overthrowing the monarchy that they so vehemently you know uh, uh, chastised, but to say honestly like yo, this is not this is not what the true power is. The true power lies in understanding and recognizing controlling uh control over oneself, right? And yeah, it's an idea that I hope to further uh, to further, you know, uh, to get into further as this podcast game progresses because it honestly, for one, obviously I'm a fan of it. I did my whole fucking master's thesis on it. But more importantly, it honestly serves as a deep insight into much of the world that we currently find ourselves living in here today, 2019 in America for much of the reason being that it influenced the founding documents of this very country that we're living in, right? So with that said I hope you all enjoy this Slightly, slightly reduced episode of El Grito. Uh I apologize, I guess, in a sense now that it's over for the delay almost a month long in doing, in taking, and doing and taking and me taking it uh me taking to get this podcast out to you. I appreciate those of you who asked when the next podcast is gonna be. And I apologize for those of you who didn't, but who were waiting for it to be. For those of you who fucking don't care, why are you even listening, bro? Every single episode. I'm gonna ask you, what the fuck, man? If you're not happy with it, say something, right? Uh, but for now. Uh, I hope you all have a great rest of your day and I look forward to seeing you again for the next podcast. Till then. Peace.
1: We are Kings. Kings of ourselves. First and foremost, while the people debate, who's the King of this rap gang, here comes little old Jermaine with every ounce of strength in his veins to snatch the crown from whoever y'all think has it. But rather than place it on his head, as soon as he grabs it, poof, boom, pow, it's like magic. With a flash and a bang, the crown disintegrates and falls to the earth from which it came. It's done. Ain't gonna be no more kings. Be wary of any man that claims. because deep down he clings onto the need for power. In reality, he's a coward. Ultimately, he's scared to die. Sometimes so am I. When I'm in tune with the most high, I realize the fear lies in my lack of awareness of the other side. Today, I know that we are the same, all the same you and I. A different kind of skin, different set of eyes, two different minds, but only one guy. For all the kings, because I know deep down every poet just want to be loved.